Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve, and joining me this week, Adam Myros. Ah, it's very abnormal. I'm sure the people are surprised to hear my voice. And nobody saw it coming, man. It's, uh, it's a big swerve for everyone. But here's a swerve. What do you do when your Irishman fucks off back to Ireland? You get a guy named Colin. Colin's here. <laughs> to quote uh, the famous uh, Lizzo, it's bad bitch o'clock. It's thick 30. I've been through a lot. But I'm still flirty. Let's check out these movies that were made in at least 30 years. You like that? Ah, that's, that's I see this is a wonder. Good. We only bring them on like once a fucking year. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, I mean, I'm glad we got you, Colin. I, I was a little bit worried about who we're going to get for a third man on this. And I was thinking it was either you or uh, one of the random spam accounts that keeps adding me on Skype. So. Uh, first of all, the big reveal is we're all a bunch of fucking boomers and we've been using Skype since like 2014. So we just haven't <laughs> stopped using it, which is a poor decision. I promise it's not out of like a boomer mindset. It's coming purely from laziness. I, that's that's really all there is to say about it. But a cool thing is like now it used to be, oh, like you'd get spam phone calls like, hey, your car's warranty or whatever, uh, you know, spam texts. You get little phishing things on social media. They finally made it to Skype. And I think the problem they're running into is... Is that no one uses Skype? Well, one, no one uses Skype. But assuming someone's using Skype, which, and it's fair that they're on this platform, because if you're using Skype, you're dumb enough to, like, buy into whatever bullshit. Uh, but they're really bad at the whole naming thing. And I, I think that that would be the easiest part is just like thinking of generic conventional names for these like, you know, pretty 20 something year old women pictures that they've they've stolen. So <laughs> I finally got one where I'm like, this is without question the best name I've ever seen for a person. And I know they're not real, but I want them to be. And I, I just want to invite them on the show. So. I received a uh, will you be my friend uh, Skype message from a woman whose name is Jemima Lamp. <laughs> it's like straight out of goddamn anchor man. It's like fucking <laughs> leaving through his kitchen cabinets. <laughs> Jemima Lamp. I don't it's, suppose you inquired whether or not Miss Lamp is uh, available. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just, I, I kind of just want to like message her back or, I mean, I say her, it's probably like a, a, yeah. a guy in like Zimbabwe and just be like, Hey, is this lamp ready to get turned on? You like that? Is that a good opener? <laughs> yeah. Okay. No worries for me. Okay. I mean, I think everyone here is hard enough to now talk about some movies. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Good. So I actually, yeah, I, I recommend all of our listeners message Jemima Lamp looking for friends. Uh, why not reactivate your Skype account? You haven't used it since 2011. It, it's time to dust it off. <laughs> See, we were, in 2011, we were using Google Hangouts, which is just uh, been announced to be getting sunset. So oh. good thing we moved mm. on past that fucking glorious service. R.I.P. R.I.P. One day we'll get on Discord like normal people, but until then, Jemima Lamp. So, uh, <laughs> that being said, it is good that Colin's here because we're, we're in the, the Collins zone, if you will. Uh, well, oh, I mean, dear God. the Collins zone is, it's, it's a Venn diagram with three circles, and sometimes there's intersecting. But you got the video game knowledge, you got the anime knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then you've got mm -hmm. your traditional animation knowledge, which I guess we could put in anime if we want to just, you know, do a regular <laughs> two circle. Let's go with that. Animation, okay. video games. Uh, now, this definitely, unfortunately, there's no video game here, but uh, this is some fucking animation that I was previously not aware of, which, again, is odd. So we're going to talk a little bit about The Thief and the Cobbler which is not a movie that I knew existed. And in a lot of ways, it doesn't exist. 
There's a movie that mm. was released in 1995 by Miramax called Arabian Nights. And apparently it was rightfully critically panned. Arabian Night. Arabian Night, just single. Yeah, the single night. Yeah. But spelled with a K, get it? Like a knight? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I'm not sure who the knight is. Who's the, the knight? There's no knight. Yeah, he's a fucking cobbler. You know, <laughs> Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Aladdin, all right? It has A in the title. Just, you know, get confused, Grandma, and buy this for your stupid children. Well, I'm just thinking of the Aladdin song, which I'm sure Harvey Weinstein was also thinking of. <laughs> when he was he was like, man, who do I need to make uncomfortable and kiss around here to get this fucking thing put out? And it's it's basically just an Aladdin ripoff, like the fucking Arabian Nights song is just like, oh, yeah, that's it. They just let's throw that in the title. And then uh, it's it's completely hacked to shit and restructured as this like G rated goofy children's movie with a lot of I what I can only assume is internal dialogue that is vocalized like when they're talking about the spice in uh dune I, the, <laughs> the original dune and i don't recall that it existed and i was probably like 10 years old when it came out and i'm like i, I don't i don't fucking remember this which is insane yeah, I feel like this must have gotten like air quotes released yeah, I, I release my ass it. like fucking yeah. pushed to hbo 6 in 1995 it, it's worth pointing out, you said Arabian Night was released, but really it only was like kind of released in South Africa and I think it was Australia was the other place. Like it was supposed to be released, but then <laughs> the bond board sold it to someone else. Why is there a bond board involved? There's This movie is just, every, is cursed because I think we can kind of start talking about it. It, it started uh, production originally in 1965 like 1965 <laughs> right like really think about that 1965 like the beatles are like just starting out in america yeah and, those lovable um, lads from liverpool are just picking up instruments for the first time well i guess yeah. in the defense of like weinstein's <laughs> decisions with this thing uh colin for the preview like the the, the little teaser video make sure that you get adam myro saying in defense of weinstein Oh, God damn it. Um, so anyhow, the fact is that like looking at this in, in the context of 1995, you're going like, what the fuck is this? Like it shares absolutely. And I'm not even talking about the butchered version. I'm talking about the, uh, the vision for the film. Like it is, it is utterly foreign to like the landscape of what nineties animation was. It shares zero DNA. In America, yeah, but there was there were certainly like international areas that would have been like a lot more accepting of this style of, of movie, which I think is telling because it was released elsewhere before it came to America. Like you can almost see like squints and you're kind of like, oh yeah, I can kind of see like a triplets of Belleville kind of vibe here. Well, you know? sure, sure, but that's that didn't come out in 1995, man. I, I feel like <laughs> there was a certain expectation, and that expectation was like scatting Robin Williams, and uh, this this ain't that. Like this ain't no fern gully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's uh, people probably a lot of people probably don't even know like who Richard Williams is or anything. And I always thought of him like I was aware of this movie. I'd never seen it, but uh, I I always think of Richard Williams as like the Roger Rabbit guy. And when you watch, yeah, when you watch Thief and the Cobbler, that would not be immediately clear. It, it's a lot more almost informative to think of him as the Pink Panther guy because this looks so much like that sort that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, he's the the thing about him is that he was mostly doing commercial work, and commercial work has way higher budget than like even movies. If you really take it to like seconds of animation to mm -hmm. um, screen, way more expensive to do like a serial commercial because you you're gonna play that thing like indefinitely. There's a reason why you're still seeing that goddamn B talking to Scrooge, even though it's like stretched <laughs> to shit. <laughs> like, they're like, we spent a lot of goddamn money. We still haven't broken even. Oh, man. <laughs> Greatest know? commercial of all time is like the Sears air conditioning commercial, which I feel like ran for five years after Sears had already filed for <laughs> bankruptcy and ceased to exist. <laughs> they See, bought the space, man. Just run it. <laughs> I wonder like how far he got in on the Pink Panther stuff, because that was advertisement as well at some point, because it was like insulation <laughs> advertisement yeah. which is the most yeah. bizarre thing imaginable it's you like what stuff we tried to talking cat in the wall yeah we got to fucking market our our insulation to children <laughs> <laughs> 
What was I like <laughs> fucking giving my dad advice on which insulation to put in uh, for the new project out in the garage because the Pink Panther told me this brand was good. It's like, what the fuck is the purpose? Here? It's pretty cool too because it looks like cotton candy, but if you if you just touch it, like you're gonna fucking make your hands itch for like a week. <laughs> yeah, it probably. The Pink Panther had more to do with uh, that sort of fiberglass injury than anything else for children. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, he, he was he was definitely a guy that he he. The more you read about him, he does not exist in his own time. Because like you look at the people that worked on this magnum opus, this uh, Thief and the Cobbler thing he worked on since 1965. He wants to make his own Arabian Night movie because he grew up on the Arabian Nights. He's a Canadian, which is always dangerous because Canadians never let go of anything. Look at Dave Sims. And then he puts out this, like, uh, uh, he gets all of these old artists together to help work on it. And, like, he was born, I don't remember when, like, in the 30s. But, like, he's surrounded by Golden Age animators who were born in, like, 1904. Like, and he's telling them what to do. And be like, no, that's fucking wrong. Fix that. Like, apparently he sucked to work with just an absolute asshole but um he definitely was a perfectionist because you look at the animation and it's just like wow this this gives me total vibes of like um fantasia or what's opera doc or kind of like what an old man's idea of achievement is kind of i mean it is dated you can't help it but that's Richard Williams. That's who he is. That he's basically just an admin that wanted to make a real movie. And in the 60s and the 70s, and especially the 80s, like, that's just not what animation was interested in. It was about selling commercials. It was about, you know, how cheap can we do this? UPA, you know, like you were talking about uh, Pink Panther or uh, what's that? Gerald McBoing Boing. Like, really cheap stuff. You know, Jetsons, Flintstones, Hanna-Barbera. Don't let Yogi move his arms at all. Just have his head twist around. Well, it was all it was all gone. Like it was completely dead in North America at at a certain point in the late eighties. Like you you couldn't hire like a local industry sword if you wanted to because it was just like the industry was. I think filmation was the last like major North American like animation studio at the time, especially for sort of that sort of uh quick put out work. And it, it closed mm. what like mid late eighties. It was. Entirely exported mostly to Japan and Korea, you know. Yeah, it's just a different time because make stuff not move, just make little bits move, and that's animation. That's a good way of doing things. Like it's not bad. That's not wrong thinking. You have a budget to work with, and otherwise you make a movie for thirty fucking years and nobody sees it, and then it gets butchered. Well, um, you've and, got. I mean, you, you could say he's hard to work with. He's cantankerous, but that's like the story of every respected animator. It's like I don't think you can do that's true this work without being like a distant asshole who demands perfection at every turn. It's like hand in hand with excellent animation. There's like Wait. no other way to approach it. Unfortunately, <laughs> Walt, Walt Disney's not a nice guy. Or, uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it Dude. turns out not so much. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so so here's my question for you, Colin. He's working on this for okay. 30 years. <laughs> and he he works on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? And yeah. then I guess he did a little bit of, uh, like, okay, so, so then he does Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then he just continues to work on this project? Or didn't someone at some point give him some money to finish this fucking thing, and he just didn't? No, that that's the entire story, though, is it's, it's people continuously giving him money to see parts of the movie, like international people being like, ah, here's $100,000, I want to see that scene. And it'll still go over budget, and it'll still go over time, and then by the time he does Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because um, Spielberg's, you know, he's a nerd. He loves animation. So, of course, he's in Hollywood. He's definitely seen clips, because this is one of those movies where, you know, wink, wink, never released, but like, come on, there were copies everywhere, uh, if you know where to look. And even on VHS tapes and things like that. So Spielberg said, you work on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm going to get you a deal to work on this movie that you've been working on for 30 years with like a real budget. He says, awesome. Uh, so he goes to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers says, yes. Warner Brothers has a ton of deals with Spielberg with Tiny Toons and, you know, the entire empire. Uh, and then before you know it... <laughs> comes the bond board the what is it the completion bond board you guys probably know more about this than i do i have no idea what that yeah. is you just made that up <laughs> no it's real he had to sign a deal where they said if this movie isn't finished by so-and-so date we're taking it from your ass okay it so basically no the studio deal is we're giving you x amount of dollars but we expect you to deliver this product by this date and if you don't 
then we we retain the right to take over ownership of it. And he was like, yeah, sure. Which seems like a dumb move on his part as a guy who like habitually for 30 years didn't finish things on budget or on time. I don't know <laughs> if, if I would be like, I'm going to hedge my life's work on my ability to gain time management skills for the first time. I think it says everything about Steven Spielberg because he was so influential that if he said, give this guy who has the worst reputation, give him everything. They said, sure, but we'll put it in the bond board. Totally Spielberg. Without that, no one would have ever budgeted this movie, especially in the 90s. Like, it's been 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Well, because it just feels like a crazed fossil. Like, like I said, it's just like trapped in amber. It, it, it's resembles, <laughs> it resembles 60s or 70s animation in America. Even in, you can see some of, some similarity in like the 80s output of Disney. Uh, it's not the same, but you can see kind of a through line. But when you look at it next to what Disney was putting out at the time, what was hugely popular at the time, this looks so goddamn insane. Like it looks absolutely <laughs> like nothing that would ever be in the theater at that time. So I suppose it's ultimate fate given these circumstances and it, you know, the time frame in which they intended to, to shove the thing out. It, it was never at work. No. No, no. And then the fact that Disney made Aladdin and put out Aladdin and then this existed. I mean, that's just like shit, man, because the, the similarities aren't just like, oh, it's uh, the rags to riches tale that takes place in the Middle East. It's it's a lot more than that. Like Thief in the Cobbler has this sorcerer named Zigzag, which is it's literally just if you took Jafar and the genie from Aladdin and you just smushed them together. That's it. It looks like the genie. It acts like Jafar. It's that's it. It's that color blue that really does it for me. Cause that's a really particular shade of like sky blue and zigzag and the genie identical, identical. And then yeah. it's voiced by Vincent Price though, which I mean, you know, Robin Williams. <laughs> sure. But Vincent Price, by the way, <laughs> I almost forgot. Vincent Price started recording in the 70s and continued into the 90s. I believe that. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a guy who never said no to a paycheck between like 1978 and his death. So that makes sense. He's I think he's probably the only person in the cast who doesn't or the only character in the cast who doesn't have two voice actors for uh, <laughs> yeah, just replaced for this bastard American version yeah. where we gotta have Matthew Broderick like fucking spewing out at the mouth for like just to cover every piece of action just here's just an endless stream of voiceover that'll fucking drive you out of your mind well what I want to know is uh, so Vincent Price is he's pretty good as, as Zigzag who the fuck does Princess Yum Yum is that just Richard Williams being like <laughs> Like ha! <laughs> no, it was it's it was horrible. some uh, golden age actress. I can't remember who it was though. I'm gonna was, like, I'm gold. gonna guess that based on the uh, two actresses per character, that it must be someone named Bobby Page because it's not Jennifer Beals. I'm gonna guess Robert that's the, Page. Uh, that's the gussied up <laughs> fucking U.S. version. But um, I don't know. It, it, it's basically a silent movie. That's the thing. It's, it's outside of the Vincent Price character. Basically, no one else has said much of anything for the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, it's it's like hybridized, which again it, is similar kind of to what they were doing with Pink Panther. You know, it was uh, it was mostly yeah. silent, uh, a lot of like utterance and not much actual dialogue, which is just carries through with that, but. <sighs> did you did you like it though? I mean, I I walked away feeling pretty buzzed. I thought it was like a really fun movie. Um, we're watching a combination of a work print that was a fan film, so it, it jumps between uh, storyboard and full animation. That was really cool. But I I felt like I saw a complete movie. I enjoyed it. I don't know if you guys did. I don't know if I saw a complete movie, but there's there's flashes of brilliance here. And if you're listening right now and you're like, "How the fuck did you watch this? It doesn't really exist." So uh, both the shit-ass Miramax Arabian Night version and uh, it's called The Thief and the Cobbler, what is it, like version four or something? Or what's it, what's it called? Uh, Re-cobbled cut, I believe it's Re called. Re-cobbled cut four or something. Yeah. Well, well, we could link it in the description. But oh, yeah. You can it's you just, can just watch this on YouTube. It's just out there. 
it's uh, the the director he he didn't put it together but it's got his blessing so it's the closest thing you're gonna get and this is i i mean it's it's the finished animation it's partially finished animation it's sketches it and it just kind of oscillates between finished footage and scenes to work print stuff to these sometimes it, it literally is just like a still frame that looks like it's drawn in crayon uh <laughs> and it's and it's all over the place plus the movie itself kind of moves at this it's got a bizarre wavelength that it's on to begin with and yes. i'm guessing this doesn't make an appearance in arabian night but the other thing is is it plays like a very traditionally animated uh kind of silent pink panthery kids movie but then all of a sudden it gets relentlessly violent and extremely horny at the drop of a hat to the point where like <laughs> i don't know the the king who not only does his daughter look like princess jasmine from aladdin God, fuck aladdin exactly like the king aladdin. yes <laughs> he does takeaway <laughs> Like they didn't even didn't try. They didn't even try to, to. To Disney was just like, "No, fuck it. Let's just do. We're just gonna do this." But it's our like this way. guy's never gonna finish this fucking thing. Let's just steal it all. Just steal it wholesale. <laughs> even things they didn't need to change. Like how hard would it have been to not make the king look like the king? Oh no. That's, <laughs> okay. That's okay. Too much. Okay. But guys, think about it. And I'm serious here. Like uh, the people that worked on Aladdin. I mean, the Disney Corporation. Fuck them. Fuck them to hell. But the people that worked on those cartoons. They gave a shit, and they probably were like, God damn it, I wish this movie would come out, and it's never going to come out. I want people to know about it. I want to do something. I'm sure it came from a good place. Like, I, I the Disney Corporation is awful. I'll give, uh, no, no debate here, but, you know, I feel like they just wanted to take what was there and share it with the world. I don't I, know. No, I, that's, that's ridiculous, because they're not <laughs> sharing it with the world. They're just taking it and claiming it as their own. This is like, this would be like me going like, well, uh, uh, uh the universally beloved podcast uh, Reply All has ceased to exist as of like a month ago or something. So we just start this episode of, of Optimism Vaccine with their theme song and be going, hi, welcome to Optimism Vaccine's Reply All. That, I mean, that's basically <laughs> what they're doing. It's, it's not in reverence to this. It's just like, oh, well, this isn't going to come out, so fuck it. <laughs> We're just yeah, going to take I mean it. There's like there's degrees of it where you could say like oh it's a tribute well is he credited anywhere in it I'm sure not was he paid no. a red cent for it I'm sure not also no. it's the thing about Aladdin is regardless of uh, its originality or what have you the fucking movie's terrible it sucks it's it's like impossible oh, really? to watch. Yeah, I don't Aladdin's know. Do you really shit. fucking love like Robin Williams just like on ten tons of coke, just like completely running roughshod over any semblance of a film? Because it's not good. It, it does not hold up at all. No, no, and yeah, and and again, it doesn't. It doesn't have the violence. It doesn't have the horniness. Like we have in Thief and the Cobbler, there's these like this barbarian horde. Uh, called the one eyes and, and we get to watch a guy with like arrows sticking through him like struggle to to get away from them there's a scene pretty early on in the movie where they bring like a tent and zigzag is just like hey i got a tent full of hose for you and then there's another scene later where the thief is like shimmying up a fucking drain pipe and he pops his head into the king's room <laughs> and the king's just getting his fuck on and you're like what how did this go from g to hard r in about two seconds and then my favorite part because like it's it's metal as fuck but the the king of the the one-eyed barbarian horde he's got like a, a harem of titty ladies that like do different poses to create different chairs for him like human titty chairs and that's cool but uh just cool. another reason like aside from the fact that it, there's like 30 years of different animation styles it was never finished it, it didn't look like anything that was going on in the 80s or 90s really there's no way this could have been released because warner brothers would have taken one look at this and be like um you got to get rid of the titty stuff but <laughs> The blackface is still fine at this point. Uh, yeah, you know, we, yeah. we can still do that caricature, I suppose. Sure, that was okay <laughs> back then. <laughs> but the titties gotta go. They gotta go. They gotta go. Because otherwise, it's a totally normal kids movie. But then you're just like, oh. And there's like spurts I, of blood at one point. You're like, Jesus Christ. What? Yeah. But I don't want people to misunderstand if they haven't seen the movie. This is, I think, at length. Uh, because we're talking about 
the thief and the cobbler. And a lot of scenes with the cobbler do kind of rotate around what we've been talking about. But the thief is this, this like conniving evil being that just wants to snatch. Uh, no, I, not an evil being. I take that back. Almost like an aloof being that almost helplessly snatches everything. Can't help it. That's can't a get compulsion. It the he just, just has to steal everything, yes. whether it's a value or not. Yeah. It's so fun. It's what a great character. I love it because this character will see something and just decide, I want to get that thing. And that is a perfect pitch for a cartoon. Yeah. I, and I like how he he's uh, my favorite part of his character is he's always got flies buzzing around his head because he smells like shit because he doesn't take baths because he's just always walking around stealing shit. Uh, yeah. And, and, and then just, you know, going back to the animation style and everything, uh, the, the thief stuff is where you, you really see the animation style shine and just how supremely talented the people who worked on this were because uh, like everyone in this movie has their own style of, of like movement and, and just a, a look about them and everyone just kind of like floats and flows and every single facial expression and, and just subtle movement. It's, it all ties back to who the character is and their personality and what they do. And, it really is a masterclass, which is a shame that this is like 40% done as a movie, if that, uh, because you, there's moments where you just see the, the unrealized potential. You're like, God damn it. Like the, you will see some of the best animation of all time in this movie. Oh yeah. Like out. the chase scene when, uh, the, the thief grabs the, the princess's shoe and then the cobbler like chases him through this insane MC Escher nightmare scenario it's it's unbelievable to watch and to think like oh my gosh that could have been on a big screen if this guy could have get, gotten this damn thing done it's it's really unbelievable one thing we should talk about because in case maybe a listener doesn't understand uh when you when you draw a cartoon there's a couple of different ways you can do it and because everything is dependent on 24 frames a second like it it, it follows film stock or whatever the term is and so if you're on threes, that means that you're drawing eight drawings a second. So 24 frames because you're holding a drawing, you know, for three of those frames. So most of the stuff you're watching on TV, that's drawn on twos. So, you know, it's 16 drawings a second. He wanted to draw ones. Yeah. And he did draw ones. And that's, it, 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 it no longer functions. It no longer reads as normal. It becomes this weird flowing, dreamy, kind of drippy movement even to do anything so when someone's talking to you their teeth will come out at you and then their eye and eyebrow will wink you know it's very um i don't know smooth it's it's freaky though it's very different yeah well everything about this is different like the the style is again like you ask if I enjoyed this movie. It's the answer is of course. <laughs> did we ever get to this? Yeah. To so for me, the answer is of course I did. But I it it is also such a bizarre thing to try and interface with at this point. Like you have to be coming at it from a very specific place because a it is unfinished, and b the tone of it is just it's very different from what you're used to when engaging with animation of any sort. Really, like. It does most remind me, again, I keep coming back to it, is it does most remind me of that Pink Panther cartoon, which was a very strange sort of thing. Like, imagine that existing in like a hundred minute format. It can be at times kind of meandering. It It, it is its own thing at every time. Like, it, that's like, the style of this is very beholden to traditional like early 20th century squash and stretch principles, it has that sort of lush style to it that you, you just did not see really post-60s, honestly, I would say. It, it combines it with this very distinct, like, you can tell Richard Williams is beyond animation, really also into design. Like, that is, there is so much of yep. this that is, really sings because of character design and set design which you might not think of in animation but it surely exists and this it just it feels very mid-century kind of like Bauhaus very graphical uh so much pattern work that makes everything interesting it almost exists outside of like anything resembling physical space it's just like this world of intersecting patterns it's so fascinating to watch it is. And it like it because the like you said, that animation really didn't exist then. And I looked it up in, in the nineteen sixties, 
they were shutting down like if you look at the character charts like if you look at mickey mouse i think it's like 1961 and then just like nothing for 40 years and then like something in the late 80s or not 40 years 20 years and then um i think same thing with goofy goofy ends in there like 61 and then um you, you're kind of seeing less bugs bunny and you're seeing more cool cat and nobody likes cool cats <laughs> sorry cool cats <laughs> but by the by the the 70s it's a, it's a ghost town it's like oh i guess you're gonna watch either i i don't even really know because even anime at that time was relatively cheap like if you wanted to watch great animation i guess the london i guess england that area or you know. watch old shit that's like when we were yeah. growing up what did we watch we watched fucking garbage like absolute basement level fucking like action figure advertisement cartoons or we watch tapes that had like cartoons from the 1930s <laughs> yeah, pretty much that's all but you need that's just this like thief and the cobbler i think has so much in, in relation with those 30s cartoons like or even later like the the 40s and 50s like there's the thief is wily e. coyote or i don't know um, pink panther Daffy duck <laughs> Pink, Pink Panther doesn't get this beat up, though. And I, yeah, but I he doesn't so get beat up. That's the thing is he walks away from everything. It's like he he's it's like a like a baby's day out sort of format. Like the, he, it's, <laughs> it does not. It's not a Looney Tune. Like the, the thief does not get smashed up. He's like the sort of like untouchable everything that's happening to him. He's like flying around. All this chaos is happening. And he's just kind of like walking right through it. Just barely missing harm. It, it's it. It's a very specific uh, type of character that, that is does not really. It's not reminiscent of like a Looney Tune to me because it, it, there's no violence that <laughs> occurred upon him, you know. Mm -hmm. And and Tack, of course, the cobbler is just smiling and nodding the entire movie. One cool thing about Tack, he's a cobbler, so he has these two nails sticking out of his mouth. You know, the entire time, you know, like because he's working on shoes, almost like they're, they're sticking tacks. out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, the little tacks. Oh, that's true. <laughs> these little these little nails they put in shoes. I don't recall the name at this point. But they swing around his mouth, and so they will be a frown, or they'll swing up and they'll become his smile. And it's just like, what a fun idea. That takes so much work. And yet that's exactly what he wanted to make on ones. Insane. 24 drawings a second to see this smile. And there's even a moment um, where he takes an old woman's glasses. She's wearing them wrong, so she can't quite see where she's going. And he flips them upside down, puts her over her eyes. And it's just a really sweet moment. There's a lot of sweet moments in here. But yes, the one eyes and the lady bed and also the giant war machine that tries to kill everyone at the end. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. I, that's where I, it, I guess I'm a little like, I wish I knew what this was supposed to look like at times. <laughs> like when the thief is being launched all through this war machine, everything is red the character isn't that highlighted, really. It's not impossible to follow, but the quality is not great. And the color grading is like, is this his vision? Is this what this was ever supposed to look like? <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. And that's a fucking shame. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess mean, it was, you know, he, he left notes and they took the notes and he was alive until like uh, a few years ago. So I, I think I think we're pretty safe. For the most part even though he says he never watched the recobbled cut well like, i mean it's done. not like there's any real restoration done to the footage in the recobbled cut it is it's there it's a wonderful resource that's been compiled but the quality is the quality is the quality no one has reanimated anything it is what exists is what's there and again whether the final coloring treatment was done on some of those final scenes or whether it was the intended final product it's just impossible to say uh it, it feels like probably not to me and like looking at it i'm like uh oh. it, it could just be that it's low res it's bad quality print and there's like some color bleeding going on but to me the with how stark everything is in this there's nothing in the first act of this that's that's a lot more complete that feels at all illegible at any point and then the finale is kind of it's kind of muddy I I still think it's fucking cool as shit, but it's money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> should we should we spoil it? Should we just say what what happens? Because it's I I think Jack will probably stop listening now, Jack from the podcast. Because I'll say the ending kind of reminded me of Doctor Strange. 
the Marvel movie where you think there's going to be a big fight scene when in fact there is none. It's the it's one man who remembers the finale of Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie. It was fun. It's like the only one I really liked the past few years. No, we, uh, we got to you know, send you to the podcast gulag now because you said you like fucking Doctor Strange. <laughs> I still haven't seen the sequel, but I've heard good things. I, I could not uh, tell you what the ending of that movie is. I don't, I don't think... Oh, he says Dormammu. Remember? That was like a meme or something. Dormammu. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't fight him. He creates a puzzle, so every time he gets struck down, he just reappears and he creates an infinite loop. It was like, it was thoughtful. And what happens in this movie is Tack, instead of going out there and beating people up, he just like throws a tack or something, and then a horse steps on it, and then it freaks out, and it crashes into the big war machine, and then this big thing swings down and takes out, like, 50 guys, that takes out 50 guys, that shoots arrows, that takes out 50 guys, and it just goes on and on, and this big, like, splash of violence, and tech didn't do anything. It's really great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really fun movie, and just to echo what we've been saying, like, if you're listening right now, it's on YouTube. It's linked in the description. It's it's fucking great, man. It's it's like it's a really interesting look. If you have any interest in animation or the history of animation or just insane projects from obsessive people who spend decades working on something, I, you could do a lot worse than this. Let me tell you. Yeah, you, you uh, almost it's, have it's a lot to of see fun. if you're if you're an animation person. Like oh I my was, gosh, yeah. I was talking to Colin before the podcast. Like the one thing that I would say about this is, I'm talking about how foreign it felt in the '90s. It feels a lot less foreign today. Like there is, it, not only is it really beholden and informed by animation's past, you can see that this thing made its way into. Like Cal Arts, uh, like there, there, there's this very distinct sort of graphic style that made its way into flash animation and what kind of became the dominant form of television animation in, I'll say, the last 20 years. And one of those guys is like Gandhi Tartakovsky. And there's like, you can't watch like Samurai Jack and not be like, oh, this guy's seen this fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the weirdest thing. It's like here's this movie that was never really released. I mean, at least released in in the way it should have been. And mm. for whatever it it just still left this insane impression on so many different animators and animation studios. The fact that like, yeah, again, Disney ripped it off wholesale. Samurai Jack, good god, if you ever liked that show, just Fucking look at this! Like this, you, you got you have to see this. Basically, you have to see. No, there's no there's no outlines on the characters. I guess is what we're saying. Like, because there's black outlines on characters like Simpsons and Flintstones and all that stuff. He didn't do any outlines, which is crazy when you look at the fucking backgrounds. Like it's insane because he's just doing. It just feels like uh, it feels like a dream at points because the logic is just so flowy, and uh, I think everyone would like to watch it. I don't know if people would like to rewatch it. I'm someone who would like to rewatch it. I enjoyed it enough, but I don't. I assume most people would be like, "Eh, that was weird." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'd rewatch a cut, like as we'll get into the next film. Uh, you know, maybe it's not that important to me that I can follow the plot wholesale. Uh, it's just oh. it's fine and well for me if some if they just put out if they just put out a cut that's still missing all the shit that's not done, but also does not include any of the fucking Miramax horse shit narration. That would be the ideal thing for me to watch. Cause it'd probably be like, uh, you know, 60 to 70 minutes long and just a joy to look at. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we really can't go on until we forget to talk about the final scene where the cobbler finally speaks. Did that make anyone else just laugh out loud and just go like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Again, yeah, I, I, choose, I choose to believe that it's just the fucking director just squeaking out a voice here. There's no He's way like, that's... I it. also love you. <laughs> no, no, Steve. According to the Wikipedia, it's Sean Connery. <laughs> I refuse to believe that for even a second. The cobbler just goes, I love you. Like, it, like, like yeah. when people... Sean Connery it's after like being drugged and, like, kidnapped... <laughs> It's like when your dog is like barking and kind of yawning at the same time. It's like, see, it, it's in my name, bro. You're know, like, oh, no, boy. no, your dog's just yawning. Unbelievable. Oh. All right. Well, hey, did you know that there's in the world of animation, there's not one, but two projects that took their respective animator roughly three to four decades to finally finish. 
And this one just came out recently. It's technically a 2022 movie, although I think the director, writer, lead animator has been working on this since the mid-1980s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And that's Mad God, which you can stream on Shudder if you're one of the people that has Shudder. Who knows? Or you can sign up for a free trial. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Uh, now, whereas <laughs> Thief and the Cobbler is a movie that is primarily for children that just happens to have some weird titty violence <laughs> stuff, this is... This is all titty violence. This is one of the goopiest movies you will ever see. It is basically a long form death metal video done in stop motion and mixed media. Uh, also, I had flashbacks to the Push It music video from Static X. Myros, oh, is that fair track? enough? That's it's it's true. <laughs> yeah, that fits big time. Yeah. So uh, all my new metal heads out there gonna appreciate this one. <laughs> It's uh, it's a fucking trip, man. This is this is one where it's it's really miraculous what this guy does with with stop motion animation, and there's there's some real passion, but also some desperation behind what he's doing because I believe the story goes that he, I mean he's he's done a bunch of stop motion stuff in, in Hollywood for a long time, and he did a little bit of work on Jurassic Park, but when he was working on Jurassic Park, he saw what they were doing with CGI. And I mean, shit, original Jurassic Park, that CG still looks better than most things. And he was kind of like, well, fuck, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like what I do is going to cease to exist. And he uh, he continued to to work on this long gestating project. And I, I think it's been like portions of it have been released, little little nuggets of it over the years. But finally, it, it got pulled together as Mad God. And it is pure just searing nihilism on the screen uh basically it is a kind of a post-apocalyptic world but it, it, it's fucking insane because all the little creatures that exist in the post-apocalyptic world it's it's just bleak and it's barren and there's just a constant pecking order of things destroying other things and then you get to bear witness to that uh, no life has any real value except to destroy more life. Uh, it's great. It's it's the feel good movie of 2022 and a wonderful reflection of our times. I mean, they're always <laughs> creating shit, I guess. It's just like this. Uh, this is like a movie about uh, this is a movie about like infernal, like useless cycles. <laughs> it's just like, oh, let's build something and use it to fucking uh, haphazardly slaughter whatever was building it in the first place it's like it's just such a bizarre like secular thing and that it reads mainly as like just kind of a, a descent through hell and uh, you know if you don't try and read much more into it than that then you're in good shape to me it's, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, about like it man's compulsion to create and destroy and how those come into conflict and how that is like impossible to resolve that it just keeps mm -hmm. fucking spinning and spinning and you know that could probably for some people are like well i can't watch this cycle go over and over again like four times in 80 minutes without going insane but you yeah. know just hey fucking... it, the futility of existence it's fun we have fun here on optimus yeah. the vaccine <laughs> yeah i just say like you know just fucking head on down to the dispensary and fire one up and just enjoy <laughs> the fucking show because jesus christ this thing looks so incredible yeah it's it, it really is it's it's something to behold like as far as stop motion goes this is about as good as it gets and considering the heavy hitters in that realm uh, i i was not expecting this to be as incredible as as it is but there's there's really I, I think the thing where it shines is it is it does a lot of mixed media stuff some works better than others where uh, the stop motion kind of intermingles with live action and and other bits. Uh, but even when all that's going on, it's all about the texture here, man, because it's not just how the things are moving, but just the 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 goopiness, the griminess, the dustiness, the the fuzziness of everything. There's so much texture in this movie. and it's uh, it's pure eye candy. And also yeah. it's wonderful because you're watching something or you're like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. 
but also it's just like the most amazing thing you've ever seen is like, what if a, a dinosaur fish was taking a wet fart shit and then a little guy made out of hair wiped his ass with a mop and then got stomped into a bloody pulp pile. And you're like, yeah, that was gorgeous. I love that. Just I could watch that out of loop. It's the sort of movie that makes you understand like what goes into directing animation to an extent. Like it is, it's super informative. Mm. Like this isn't just some static thing of a guy moving a clay figure around. It's like, it's everything in it is so goddamn labor intensive. I can't even fathom the amount of work that would go into like just 30 seconds of this fucking thing. Like the texture in creating it in the first place, the lighting that makes that texture look so goddamn disgusting. Uh, and the just framing everything is fuck the, this has like intense cinematography. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> everything's framed yeah, there's, immaculately. There's a there's a sequence. Uh, and if the listener has not seen the movie, I guess basically it starts with a character known as the Assassin, ooh, who like visits the hellscape of the Mad God World or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's there's this one scene like you're talking about with the lighting, where um, it. The, the character enters the room and the camera backs out and then kind of like hands to the left with all of this uh, lighting because it's a dim room and he's holding a flashlight and it's just like, Jesus, how long did that take? Like, how many weeks? How many months? Just that one shot because you see everything. He doesn't cheat. That's probably the best thing about this movie is the is the set design for a lot of these uh, areas and the way that he interacts with them. Um, there's a great sequence uh towards the end where uh he has these spider creatures which are kidnapping things and eating them and pulling them away and it's really just him showing off like look at all the different stuff i can make and look at the worlds that i can make interact because he the spider creatures look very different from the colorful world and their dim cave just kind of just looking at the cave like evokes a feeling like he's he's the movie's at its best when he's trying to evoke uh he's he's taking the time to evoke feeling and it's at its mildest when it just seems to try and be gruesome and it's like a little bit flat but there's a sequence early on where this uh, creature gets killed, like this monkey sock. But before it dies, we get to see it like saying, no, 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 please don't kill me and make a desperate plea. And that's what I really like about the movie. When it makes you, um, uh, you know, it gives you the feeling before it gives you the violence. But later on in the film, it just kind of goes, I don't know, elsewhere and just becomes like really gory, but not, uh, you know, not gory enough for me. And like you said, it's nihilistic, but honestly, there are some sequences that are just not nihilistic enough. Like it just takes too long to get to the obvious. I don't know. I'm, I feel like the party pooper, even though I just said some of the greatest uh, animation you'll ever see also is in mad God. Like I said, that one shot. Yeah. I mean, this, this is not going to be for everyone <laughs> because it's, <laughs> What it's saying is pretty obvious from the jump and it says it a lot and it kind of bludgeons you over the head with that. But also, I guess by doing that, it's reinforcing the message cycles of of violence, of death and rebirth and the futility of everyday existence. Uh, So, yeah, you get clobbered with it. Also, uh, at one point, they I I don't know, it, it switches over into this this like weird surgery sequence and there's a worm baby. And then, like, the universe is completely reborn. A lot of things happen. So what's going to happen with this movie, If you, when you're watching it, dear listener, is you're going to be like, well, I don't understand why uh, Steve and Myros and Colin are spouting off about how this, you know, kind of takes a swerve into the completely obtuse, because it seems pretty forward at first. It's just one guy, the assassin or whatever, and his descent into endless layers of hell but then once the surgery hits, it's like, oh, wait, there's a lot of assassins and there's witches and there's a guy that puts the assassins into the, the goopy blueness. And then the, the, the worm babies and, and the clocks and there's a lot going on. So uh, it, it kind of really blows up into a pre- pretty abstract, <laughs> difficult to follow third act. But that being said. As it's spiraling, it's not like it gets out of place thematically. It's just taking what it's established and just just blowing it up, essentially. Yeah, I think that I wouldn't levy much of a narrative critique at it. Uh, It is 
what it is. Yeah, it, this it, isn't about this isn't fucking story time, man. Just strap in, absorb the theme, and and look at the most beautiful shit you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, and I feel like even that even that finale is like reinforcing of that, where it's like this strange, like we're gonna smash this fucking hair hairball fetus and fucking create a universe out of it and then immediately watch that universe evolve okay. and fucking build up a society and destroy itself again it's great it's, it's fucking awesome uh but yeah. i mean what what yeah what was the plot what was the plot element what was the point of the two guys hitting each other with the shovels and the guy coming out and saying you quit hitting each other with the shovel <laughs> what did that really do for you do you even remember that scene yeah 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 like, that's, that's what yeah, the, the, uh, the rancors yeah, yeah monkey rancor guys were, were you but were you really thinking about it were you hanging on to it after you saw the movie or were you just kind of like huh what, what okay i guess the assassin doesn't do anything all right no, is I mean, that what you look for in a movie, Colin? Every no. every frame of picture. That's Colin. You know? like he's he's <laughs> no. like, you know One what it was? It was a fucking pretty cool animation that he felt like doing, and that was fine. It was it was a little world building. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes your little your little your little poo digging minions, they they you got to give them a little zap. You know, <laughs> that's just how it goes. That's how it is. The first third is great. The first third is amazing. After that, did we get into some surgery scene and like you, you, you get the plot synopsis, but like it just takes a long time. It's just some guy holding a fucking screaming baby crossing a hallway for like 45 seconds. It's like, yeah, I, mm -hmm. this, this is, this is annoying. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Screaming well, and, baby. Thank you. And that's, that's <laughs> the other thing about Mad Guy too, is it, it, there is an element of, you know, a kind of, I don't know if it's audience prodding or, or testing or you know, having kind of an antagonistic relationship with your audience, but uh, the, the guy knows how to stay on theme, and he's going to fucking test you. So, uh, yeah, there there are moments where it's just like, yeah, I, I wish the the worm fuzzy fetus would maybe stop crying. But you know, what what can you do? What can yeah, you do? Yeah, and that that portion of the film into the finale, like I would say, the back half dabbles a lot more with like sort of mixed media, just different sorts of of portrayals. It's not. It's a lot less strictly stop motion, and I feel like this stop motion looks so fucking incredible. Every time it, 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 we're just like showing a person doing something, I'm like, "What's not? I, I don't want to watch this." <laughs> I'm immediately like, "No people, get the people out of here." You, you didn't like that Z grade scene where she hands over the baby, and it just looks like I don't know your fucking nephew made it for fifteen dollars on his. 2009 iMac like what the fuck was that listen man sometimes you got you got to you got to kickstart the little bits here and then you know <laughs> that's fine that's fine i but, but i mean this movie uh, it's ironic because we talked about the of course the venn diagram of tanner which is cartoons and animation this movie kind of felt like a video game and i don't mean that in a compliment no no, no it, like, it is it's very video game-esque like it's a little and, nightmares and if you want to draw like a real <laughs> wait what little if you want to draw a real man. he's totally right <laughs> yeah. he's totally right there's a game called little nightmares that is this that is, this, <laughs> that is yeah. absolutely this uh and it, it kind of has that that dark souls vibe to it too where everything is trying to kill you and you feel like you're you're in a world that used to was at some point thriving but is now just a a husk that is incredibly hostile to you uh it, it really it does have that that kind of vibe to it and i mean just like a video game we learned that if the assassin is strapped to a, a surgery table and has his guts ripped out and his little fetus and his jewelry taken out of his body why there's another little assassin ready to go and to drive his little car and put his little briefcase on the briefcase pile so, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is very video game-esque, which I think is interesting yeah. too, because I mean, again, this guy's been working on this for 30, 40 years. So, uh, conceptually it like predates the contemporary video games that it feels like it, it's, it's referencing or paying, uh, homage to, which is kind of funny to me. Then, then a D and D campaign with a imaginative, uh, dungeon master, you know, it's, it's not. You know, it's like the, I, I feel like I don't want to shit on this because like I said, the first third is really good, but like I've, I saw online even other people said the same thing. I immediately thought, well, no, take the first act and you put it in the third spot and you take the, uh, the second act and you put in first because what, what it's oftentimes doing, it's like, okay, if we're going to have this screaming baby that eventually is just going to get killed, 
that's not very shocking. We already saw a million things get killed. Like psychologically, <laughs> it's just not going to work for you. It will not work for you. So you had to sit through all of this for nothing. What you could say, oh, that communicates nihilism. But I find that coincidental at best. That does not feel like he intended it that way. It just feels like, I don't know. It feels like a Shutter original, unfortunately, at points. It feels very cheap. And then at other points, it feels uh, like it will be talked about 100 years from now. It's very strange. I feel like very, if this wasn't strange. made by one man and it actually had to be like, if they had to pay like visual effects people to do it, then, well, cheap probably not the word I would use. It probably costs like a fucking billion dollars <laughs> of yeah. man hour labor. Like, I don't, I think a lot of that might come down to the fact that this like released in three parts. Like there, I, I don't know how much editing was done to make it into a feature or if they just like stitched together the shorts. But that that might have something to do with this apparently somewhat pervasive feeling of, of disjointedness, which I don't really share because, again, I, I just feel like it's kind of it's such a loop like it, it's it the intended experience. Well, I'm not Phil Tippett. I can't tell you the intended experience. I can tell you my experience with it was that it was it, it was just very cyclical. Like, and it was grating and it was punishing and that's all right. I feel like, mm. I felt like, like when you're watching was, final flesh, honestly, that's yeah. <laughs> to, to me, I didn't read anything as like, oh, well, they could have switched this around here and switched that around there. I, I felt like the guy's been working on it 30 years. He knew what the fuck he was. He wants me to feel when I watch this, but I, you know, who's, who the fuck's to say, but I, I, I suppose when we compare it to something like little nightmares or even like you know your limbos or, or your various video games i think mm. it, it's important to note that mad god was like public the first portion of mad god was publicly released before any of those games existed so they probably oh yeah probably more i mean obviously we're talking about how it, this predates video games really as a pervasive cultural force in general or or largely or certainly to anything that could be fucking mm -hmm. visually compared to this but even the stuff that feels almost directly related to this is probably directly inspired by this rather than vice versa yeah and and part of the video gaminess of it too is i, I think it's the feeling of perpetual forward motion uh which is a very video game thing like you're always progressing you're always going somewhere and that's what this movie does is we follow the assassin character like someone's always going or even when it switches over to the yes, noodle fingers perspective doctor, uh it's it's constant constant forward motion yeah so but just uh, don't expect like you know satisfaction there is no satisfaction there's no here. satisfaction like, there's only what pain happens to the, no, and there what is happens to the second assassin and there is the death of the universe <laughs> like you ask but like what what happens to the second assassin he just kind of goes down that uh that looping endless staircase and then he's just not the movie anymore <laughs> he's just gone i yeah because i feel like there's he needed the the guy phil Tippett. he needed someone there to be like no this doesn't really work because i'm sorry at the end of the day as great as this is if you were to tell me like what's like his most evocative work, I would have to put scenes from RoboCop 2 like right up there against it. It's of equal uh, measure in some way because he can't keep a real consistency. And that sucks because like I said, the first third masterpiece, masterpiece. I mean, there's points where uh, if you're an artist, you'll really admire when these um, creatures are being electrified and shitting their pants so much that this thing below it's just eating all the shit. It's awesome, <laughs> but like when I'm having to watch someone walk down a hallway, I really can't get over that. Tremendously boring and far too late in the movie. I just remember I just kind of started looking at my watch. I'm sorry, towards the end, and kept going, oh, yeah, this will wrap in 10 minutes. Like, oh, I see where this is going. Like, oh, come on, because it just felt like he did a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, no one helped him call the herd because there's great work here. I, don't I just know. don't need I, any I, of this Colin, live action. I think bullshit. I think if he had someone standing next to him, like a producer, an editor, someone, you know, a studio stepping in, uh, I, I don't think you'd have any of this. They'd be like, right. oh, wait, you just spent uh, $60 million on uh, 10 frames. And now we're going to we're going to take this to a uh, a Best Buy that's that's been abandoned for 10 years in Modesto. And we're just going to shoot everything out a green screen and fuck it. Because that's what they do now. So, yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. Well, I mean, I, I think you could take the same lesson from both of these movies. Neither one was made by, like, someone with a great deal of filmmaking experience. They're both made by visual artists 
who obsessed over work for 30 fucking years and were probably at no point ever remotely uh, like happy with <laughs> the end result. So it might yeah. neither one, they both might at times feel aimless and not quite narratively complete or, or, or satisfying. And it's probably because they're not really made by people who are concerned with that. They're made no, by people no who are concerned concern with, with craft. And these are both like just brilliant examples of craft. just like <laughs> screaming mad George and the Giver. Okay. <laughs> well, uh. <laughs> I, I, I would want to bring up one thing about Mad God, though, because I, I don't, I, you say there's a sense of aimlessness, but I, and, and I'll give it to its credit. I do believe that is intentional because reading an interview with Phil Tibbet, he cited uh, Carl Jung's The Red Book as a, as a major influence. And if you're not aware, uh, Carl Jung, he was a bullshit artist. I'm sorry, psychological, psychological, uh, uh, no, bullshit artist who decided that he was going to write a book about like letting go of his consciousness and like seeing things, bro. And like, yeah, that's psychology for some reason. But if you read, but there is this like artistic desire, I think for any people, maybe it's what attracts people to drugs. I don't know, to mentally disconnect and be consumed by the art form itself. And that's what Phil Tibbet was trying to, I think give the audience in, in a way was he successful i don't think so i think he 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 unfortunately continued to touch areas that he is less masterful in and unfortunately that is uh sometimes it looks like a cdi game and you just gotta smile and nod and say okay uncle tibbet it was funny when that one evil scientist was wearing a yarmulke for no reason though yeah. it was like a nice touch like oh all right he still celebrates he knows who he is that's cool. right shabbat right. shalom bro <laughs> All right. Uh, well, hey, we got to wrap things up. So, uh, Colin, what are you putting over this week? Oh, Jesus. Okay, wow. All right, back-to-back -back Colin segments right here. Uh, <laughs> I just... <laughs> if you like the sound of my voice, well, too bad, because I think I'm only doing this at the moment. Uh, but I just watched um, all of the mysterious animated sitcom Sammy. And if you're like, I've never heard of Sammy, well, that's because it never really released. It's a David Spade-driven sitcom about some rich Hollywood jerk and his mooching dad who moves in. It's not very good. But <laughs> You're supposed to put something over! You <laughs> but, 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 it is animated by, I'm sorry, the name escapes me, but it was a lot of people that used to work at Klesky Chupo, and they worked on other shows like uh, Men in Black uh, and Real Ghostbusters, and I think did a lot of really good animation. In the early days of, uh, or no, the uh, uh, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. And I think Sammy looks great because it also is character designed by Everett Peck, the guy who made Duckman. And it looks just really nice. And also it has Andy Dick as a voice actor. So if you're a fan of American Dad and you're like, I wonder if they actually hired Andy Dick, would he be a good voice actor? The answer is, yeah, it's really good. It's weird. I'm going to guess They're if you're a fan really of American good. Dad, you're not listening to Optimism Banks. No. This is how oh, you know you... Colin's on the show. This is the Colin brand. The Colin brand is American Dad, <laughs> Duckman, and Andy Dick stuff that oh, none of us Duck don't even Duckman <laughs> is, in my mind, the show I shut off after the critics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Myros, what are you putting over though. this week? I'm, I'm going to stay right on brand by saying that I have not watched a single goddamn movie since we last recorded, and uh, I'm going to put over... Uh, you know, the thing about Phil Tippett is, is when he saw that crashing wave of CGI uh, uh, coming to wreck his career, he's not the sort of guy who was like, well, I guess I'll just make a Primus video every five years or something and call it a day. <laughs> no, he chased the CGI. He chased it. And uh, so I'm going to put over the, the film where you're going to see his finest effects were uh, The Haunting. Uh, just, just a masterclass in shit CGI. So, uh, yeah. Well, why not check out 1999's The Haunting? It, it's terrible. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that you guys are missing the point of putting something over, but that being said, uh, <laughs> this week, uh, earlier I Sammy's said that- Sammy's on YouTube, by the way, and it is good. So everyone go watch Sammy. You'll, you'll like it. It's just that David Spade, it doesn't know how to voice act for the first five episodes for some reason. It's but lot, it's good. It's on YouTube. David Spade and Andy Dick. This is, a, uh, that's the, the <laughs> this is what our audience loves. Uh, Have you guys tried McDonald's? This shit's amazing. <laughs> 
Well, earlier on this show, I compared Mad God to uh, a little movie called Final Flesh and the uh, the bizarre looping cycles of nihilism and strangeness that is that movie. And we did an episode on it. Jack loves it. Uh, I, I think his wife loved it even more. And it just got released on Blu-ray, which is weird. Who Who is asking for that? I'll tell you who was asking for that. All the Optimism Vaccine fans who listened to that episode were pounding their fucking fists on their desks saying, give us our final flesh so you can see that in glorious high definition, uh, which, sure, why not? Uh, so check out Final Flesh. And if you haven't listened to our Final Flesh episode yet, go back in the archives. It's there. It's great. And hey, you know what else you can do? You can look at the description of this very episode you are listening to right now. And not only will you find a link to the, the best composite version of The Thief and the Cobbler, but you will see another link where you can go to our Patreon and you can give us money. How much fun would that be? We, we just provided you with The Thief and the Cobbler. Uh, we got some new patrons. I got to send shit out. I'm sorry. Uh, there's been a, some some delays. I've been traveling a bunch for work. I got to go to fucking Saskatoon tomorrow. I fly out tomorrow morning to go to Saskatoon. Who the fuck goes to Saskatoon? Me and no one else. So, anyways, your your stuff's coming in the mail. I promise it will arrive before your Hong Kong rescue orders. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to get Jack cracking on that. Yeah, we do got to get Jack. So, anyways, yeah, if, if you subscribe at any level to our Patreon, whether it's $3, $5, $25, whatever, I will send you a movie from my personal collection in the mail. It could be anything, DVD, Blu-ray, box set. I got all kinds of shit. So that my shit is going to become your shit. How nice is that for you? And in addition to that, uh, at higher levels, $5 levels, you get shout out on the show. Uh, you get uh, additional perks and you can go all the way up to $25 where you get to tell us what the fuck you want us to do on a show. How crazy is that? So if you're like, gee whiz, I really wish Optimism Vaccine would cover uh, the, the, the work of Andy Dick. Boy, I just need, an Andy, I need a Dick retrospective in my life. <laughs> that, that dream can be realized simply by giving us $25. Uh, whereas Myers shaking his head. He's like, it's going to fucking cost you more than that. No, I was, I was going to say they, they might as well save their money. And we'll probably just end up fucking doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> eventually, you do a podcast long enough, you eventually end up in, in fucking Andy Dick movies. It's just like, oh yeah, like a monkey could write Tolstoy if you gave him a million years in a in a typewriter. That's like us with podcasting. We eventually get to Andy Dick. So uh yeah, anyways, if if you give us money at any level, uh, in addition to the free movie, you also get access to a bunch of exclusive podcast material and exclusive written material from Optimism Vaccine. Uh we're gonna do another Patreon exclusive episode soon. So you look forward to that. A lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. So, yeah, please give us money. We need money. It's, uh, it's Steve, you, you did mention shout outs. Let's real quick mention Paula, CWW, Dustin, Evan, and Ryan. Thank you for your support. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service. Saluting right now. Also, shout out to all my $3 homies. Uh, you're, you're doing <laughs> the Lord work, Lord's work, too. We love you. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess with that, we'll be back next week and add my girl Jemima Lamp on Skype. Thank you.